My guest today saw his parents divorce when he was a young kid. He was also falsely accused of a sex crime when he was a teenager. That caused him to lose a lot of friends, but he gained some new ones that put him on a path of theft and drugs, which led him to a 12-year prison sentence as an 18-year-old kid. While in prison, he got hard, he got strong, he got out. He OD'd, died, and came back to life. He got sober. He's been on Vice TV on the show I Was a Teenage Felon. He worked his butt off. He's made a ton of money since he's been out, and he's got an organization called Sober Life, and he's given back. I'm excited about the background check we're doing today on Peter Meyerhoff. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead. Check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Gum. And it's, as always, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. So glad you're tuning in today. We have got an exciting episode for you. I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. I know that um, I, I don't know how many, uh, how often they give tablets to a new unit in Texas, but we have been welcoming the new units that are getting tablets in Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I think we got a shout-out in the Echo newspaper as well. So thank you guys for listening. Um, if you want to know more about Forgiven Felons and what we're doing, where we're headed, go to ForgivenFelons.org. We are kind of in transition. we got some things going on now. Our landlord is, uh, is going to sell the duplex that we're in, so we're not sure if we'll be able to stay there past May 2023, but we got some things in the work with this. The lady, the company, Kingdom Legacy Company, that – is helping us find a place for the resource center uh, is also looking at a 16 unit apartment building and another quadplex. So we're going to be fine. We know it's always scary. Transition is scary. It's so scary because there's just the, the element of the unknown, the unforeseen, and you can't see what's happening. And so we're having to walk by faith and I appreciate all your prayers. As we do this, we do have guys, guys, if you're listening that, uh, you know, just recently got denied parole and, and they're going to come up next year and probably come home. Don't worry. We're going to have a spot for you. J- just no big deal, okay? So, um, but anyway, we're excited, man, about what's going on in, in the life of forgiven felons. We're not stopping. We may look different a year or two or five years from now than we do now, and that's fine, you know, but but our goal, I'm, I'm 51 years old this year. I turned 51, and, and I'm never going to stop helping people coming out of prison to get back on their feet. It may look different every five years and, and how we help them, and, uh, and, and that's okay, man, because I think that every time we kind of change how we help you guys getting out, it's going to be for the better. So thank you for keeping us in your prayers. I don't really have anything else to say, man. I'm going to get you ready for, the, for this interview that we did. This guy's name is Peter Meyerhoff. He's, he's an amazing dude. Uh, he, he's, he's got a podcast too, so I want you to listen to his podcast uh, you'll be able to hear his podcast if you're if you're an inmate. You'll be able to hear his podcast coming in 
I think May or I think May or June. So uh, I'm excited that that inmates are going to be able to hear his podcast because he's got some pretty inspiring stories on there. So uh, man, he his parents divorced when he was young. He was falsely accused of a sex crime he did not commit, and then he was put on a path that led him to prison. And he spent 12 years in Arizona State prisons and got hard, got strong, went in as a little puny boy and uh, came out a very strong, a strong man. And uh, but even then, he wasn't, you know, he read, wasn't ready to live right. And so when he first got out of prison, he he OD'd one night, woke up in an ambulance. You're gonna hear it in the story. But he woke up in an ambulance, and I mean, he died. They had to revive him, brought him and brought him back to life. And a very emotional time as he talks about his brother and how much his brother got emotional when he went to prison and then the night he uh, he died in the ambulance as well. So, um, but man, since he's been out, he is killing it. Guy, he got a he got a, a chance at a car dealership, became the finance manager, making tons of money, and and but all, I mean, it all stopped about six months ago. I mean, he's still going to be awesome in business, but about six or seven months ago, he um, he totally um, walked away from his job, and now he wants to start this whole recovery sober life. It's it's sober life organization, and um, all right, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to introduce you to him. He lives in Arizona, and uh, here is my interview with Peter Meyerhoff. Peter Meyerhoff, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank you for having me. Man, this has been a long time coming. I've ever since somebody connected us, uh, I've followed you on Instagram and I've enjoyed your your stories, your inspiration. And the more I get to know you, and the more I, you know, I mean, I'm here in Arizona. It, it, it tells you what a guy you are to let somebody like me. I mean, you let a convicted felon come hang out with your family for a, a couple forgiven days. felon, <laughs> not a convicted. There you felon. go. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, man, the hospitality here has been great. You're letting us use your stinking studio. It's beautiful. You know, these are my goals. I, I, I got a shed in the backyard that we just got delivered. And, uh, you know, I might have to take some tips. And we all got to start and, somewhere. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been doing it in, 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 in my garage, you know, I've been in, interviewing other people everywhere else. But, um, but thank you for letting us, we, you know, I've done a couple interviews here for, for other people and you've mm-hmm. let us use your studio. So thank you so much. And, um, you know, tell people who you are right now, what you do, man, you've got a lot of things going on. You've got the sober life, you got podcasts, you got, you know, you got an awesome family, you got so many things. So introduce yourself, you know, uh, introduce yourself to, to my listeners. And again, some of my listeners, our listeners are behind bars, Love just it. like you were, yeah. um, you know, and background check is, is all about shedding a positive light on your background, not just a negative. For sure. Because Jesus did background checks yeah. on every one of his 12 disciples, and none of them got disqualified. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So our background, just like our, our, uh, our, our slogan, says your background shouldn't hold you back, it should pay you back. Absolutely. And that ties into what you're doing with Sober Life. Yeah. You know, so introduce yourself to everybody. Let us know, you know a little bit of where you've been, not your full story, back, all the back, but just where you've been. Um, you know, in prison, locked up and all that. Tell us who you are today. Yeah, cool. So uh, Peter Meyerhoff, I am 37 years old. Last month in February was my seventh year, actually, um, that I was released from prison. Went into prison at um, 18 years old. Didn't get out until I was 30 years old. Now I have, I got a podcast, which is my number one passion, Roll Call with Chappie. It's on Apple, Spotify, uh, all the platforms. 
I'm in the process of doing my own prison curriculum that's going to be in the prisons out here to try and teach inmates to do what me and you have done when they yeah. get out of here. Because yeah. there's, I don't know about Texas, but there is none of that stuff out here in Arizona. Right. So I got a sober clothing company, and um, that started, I just wanted to, you know, when I got sober, a lot of people thought there was like a stigma to it, you know, and yeah. people didn't want to be proud of being sober. And, you right. know, a lot of guys, when no, they were right. sober, they were like People get made fun of when, when, when we say we, we quit drinking. Yeah, for Even sure. in my drinking days, if I was just at the bar, there was only a couple times where I was not drinking. But yeah. but there was like, I'm, I'm not drinking to that. Yeah. I would get made fun of. Yeah, your you know? friends will rag on you or something yeah, like that. Call so me all kinds the, of names. I wanted the exact opposite of that, you know, like I got a little swag, so I wanted to make like a whole like sober, like lifestyle and like yeah. community, you know, and we were at the gym yesterday. You saw that youngster, yes. or not even, <laughs> I, I'm still used to calling dudes youngsters from prison, but that, that dude that came up to me, you know, he had a hundred days sober and wants to, was buying a sober shirt, you know, and that's what I want. You know, people see me rocking my sober brand. If you ever see it, it's, uh, the E is removed because there's no excuses with sobriety. So oh, I love that. I've never known. I've, I was going to ask you on this podcast. I was going to ask you what the E is. Shout out to name. Bradley. Bradley is the one that gave me the idea for that, though. So, so but good. yeah, my stuff is just S O B R life, and it and it looks better on the on the shirt. Yeah, it looks a ton better. That's why I thought of. You know, I, I kind of. Uh, claimed it after that brand baller. I saw that and I was like, God, that'd be dope if there was like a sober shirt like that missing the E, you know? Nice. So yeah, now my passion is just doing all those things, but it didn't used to be uh, like that in my life. So, all right, you got a family? I have a beautiful family. Uh, an how long amazing... have you been married? I mean, how long have you been with her? We've been together for about a year and a half now. Uh, two little girls she has are six and eight and, you know, we raise them together in the house and I have a I have a household that like I never in a million years would have thought a guy like me could have, you know? Yeah. It's a beautiful home. Yeah. Uh, the the girls are, are awesome. Yeah. Uh, Paisley's going to be mad that you're gone. I know. You know what? And I'm so I'm so used to getting up early, and this time difference has, has thrown me off. And and I, I wanted to get up early to see them before they left to the school. Yeah. And I was and I did. And she's going to be so Sh- mad at me. Shout out to Jay here. Just so you guys know the type of dude this guy is. I'm not joking. The first day at my house... The next morning he came out and he literally apologized to me that he didn't wake up earlier to say hi to the girls before they went to school. And that was his first day here. Just, I know you guys, they're all your listeners, but just to show like the, the for real, ge- like I mean, genuine. I mean, I connected with them from that, me and Paisley from that first high five. I mean, legit. She's unreal. Her, her high five is incredible. Yeah. It was smack dab in the middle of the hand. I know I'm like making a big deal about a high five, but it, no, I mean, yeah. I give, I give all kids high fives and hers was incredible. And we connected, man. She was just uh, it was dude. Her it was personality, fun. like sometimes I can seriously sit there and stare at her and just like you think you you just watch her and you think, how is there any bad in the world? You yeah. know, like she yeah, just yeah. has no care and the happiest and all. Those girls are gonna do help. great things, man. They're yeah. gonna do great things. Your wife is amazing. Um, so you 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 have two dogs, Bodie and Ferguson. Yes, they're great too. Yes. And uh, I, love I don't it. know about you, but that was one of the toughest things to me about doing prison time. I'm serious. There's no dogs. Like I'm an animal fanatic. I don't hunt. Like I like dogs more than people times a hundred. <laughs> So that was hands down. That was one of the toughest things. But obviously, the family was tough, but like yeah. seriously, being away from dogs and stuff was tough for me. Yeah, it was uh, one of the things. I didn't have any dogs in my in my young adult life. I did when I was a kid, but I didn't have any in my young adult life. So I didn't have any when I went to prison. So it wasn't that it wasn't that big of a, of a you know a thing for me. You know, not being able to go to the refrigerator was my thing. You know? yeah. I'm like, I just want to get out of bed and walk yeah. to the refrigerator. You know what I mean? Sure. Anytime I want, that was one of the big things for me. And just just real quick, just to show you how much your brain either can do damage for you or do good stuff for you. Like we dreamed about that stuff. And now like that's one of the gripes I can literally have in this day and age. And like, I don't mean to sound like this, but like 
I can literally get mad or get upset that like I have to walk so far to my fridge now. <laughs> I'm being serious. You do. Just to show you how your much your bedroom is very far. Yeah, but just to show you how much your mind like, and it's yeah. still like you people. A lot of people think I got it made now, and it's not. Like it's still a daily battle yeah. in my mind every day with little things. You know. Yeah. You know, I only did three years. You did. You did twelve. Uh, yeah. Um, a real twelve. Yeah, and so I, I know how how it affected me when I got out after only three years. Um, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So you got sober life, you got now, now why did you, now, how did you come about starting the sober life? The, the organ tell us the vision, the whole vision of that and what you had to do to get that started. Oh, well, the vision was after, I'll tell you, I was, so when I had got out of prison after I was 30 years old, let me give you a little rundown on my, on my, yeah, give us the, my give us the highlight, give us the highlights. Then we'll go back and, 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 and pick it apart and talk about different things. Okay, cool. So whole rundown to how I got there. You know, I had, I, I always speak, I had it all as a kid. I should have never, ever went to prison. I had a great family. The, the toughest thing I endured growing up was my parents splitting in, in a divorce, but they were both in my life. Nothing bad. There are no complaints there, you know? Um, I was in a movie as a kid. I had a modeling agent as a kid. I was a top athlete. Like I said, I, I felt like I could do anything I wanted. Wow. And the, I had the world in the palm of my hands as a kid. You know, I had a, what, the one thing that really set my life towards prison was when I had, I had a girl in high school make a f- false sexual assault claim against me. And I, I honestly think to this day, I, you know, we were sneaking out. We weren't even driving back then, you know, and I, I honestly think to this day, I feel like she got she came home and she was hammered and got caught sneaking into her house and it was the only way to deflect blame or something because yep. it didn't make sense. We, we all did that. Yeah, I, I did that all the time and, and it was done to me and, and not in a, a sexual content. But yeah, it, 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 that's the way we for did. sure. And it's like we did the same thing Friday night hooked up. We did the exact same thing Saturday night and then all of a sudden she says this on Sunday and then went to school on Monday bragging about us. So I went from being like the man to legit public enemy number one and no comparison. Like dudes were trying to. Yeah, get me, whoop me, like, and I was a little fifteen-year-old freshman kid. Because everyone's gonna always believe the the woman first. Yeah, and they're all, and everybody's a bunch of followers. Like my best friend was with me, and the only intentions of them coming over was to get drunk and us to hook up. It was me and my best friend, and her and her best friend. We did the exact same thing two nights in a row. How in the fuck can <laughs> yeah. you tell me I sexually assaulted you, right? But my own friend wouldn't go against the grain because kids are so easily yeah, impressionable. So all he has to do is stand up for me and be like, yo, that's bullshit. I yeah. knew exactly what we did. But he didn't even say that. What he did, he took the easy way out and stayed out of it. And, and I don't know if, if, if it's fear-based, if they fear they're going to get into any other kind of trouble or fear they're going to lose friends. It's fear they're going to lose friends. And people are just followers nowadays. Yeah. There's not yeah. too many leaders. You know what I'm saying? True, true, So true. that set, set me down a path to... I had to legit instantly drop out of school. So I go from hanging out with like being the most popular kid in school to not being in school. And now I'm having to find new friends. So Mm. I know everybody out there. So what do I do? I go reach out to the dudes that aren't in school. And these dudes do hardcore drugs and they do it like, like nonstop, like it's going out of style. So I went from doing ecstasy, crystal meth, shrooms, smoking crack, literally for my first time in the same weekend. Wow. And that was just a normal weekend for these guys. Dude. Talk about your life turned upside down, right? So then we get into, and I'm like so easily impressed. I don't care about life. I hate my life. I feel like God did me wrong. I yeah. feel like I got it all bad. I'm I'm just an, a bad, bad kid, you know? And then start stealing cars. I steal a Mercedes-Benz and the Mercedes-Benz, a Chandler dealership, brand new. And then what actually sent me to prison is a kind of a crazy story, but is we ended up burglarizing 
my ex-best friend that wouldn't stand up for me. So we all wow. burglarized his house spring break my senior high school. My brother and I told me that they went and burglarized his house. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, let's go back and get that. you know. So we go back and do it. Of course, I'm the tough guy. I'm not going to say anything to the police. They made an example out of me. And there was 10 kids involved in this burglary. One other one got two and a half years in prison. And he was my uh, co-defendant on my stolen Mercedes-Benz case. And he had three more class three felonies to me because he got caught selling this jewelry directly to pawn shops. But what did he do? He told the cops I did it. Mm. He told them where the jewelry yeah. was. So he gets two years. I get 12 years. Everybody else gets jail time and probation. So I'm heading to prison at 18 years old for a 12-year we'll, prison we'll, sentence. And we'll talk more about the injustice of that uh, later. Okay, so now you're 18. Now, listen, I want to take this opportunity to tell everybody, I, I need you to go to his launch episode, Roll Call with Chappie, mm-hmm. and listen to his first episode because it's with his mom, his dad, and his stepmom. And they tell his story from their perspective, and it is incredible. I mean, dude, I told you one time I had to pause. Yeah. I had to pause it because of the whole brother thing. The biggest, baddest dude. I mean, Tommy Vex, he he messaged me after he heard my my first episode of my podcast, and he's like, yo, bro, I don't ever cry. He goes, you had me bawling in your episode multiple times. Like, It's it's so good, and and y'all actually process stuff that you hadn't processed before. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it, it was incredible to hear that whole thing with stepmom and, and biological mom and, and, and dad and just, you know, talking about different things in life and how it affected them and you and all that. And watching my little brother afterwards go man, downhill, you man, know, it's, yeah. Man. And I'd always, and I'd always knew that. I just never, I never asked or even knew like how bad it went because I didn't want to hear that shit, you yeah. know, but now that I'm on this new mission in my life, you know, I was like, I want to be fully transparent yeah. about everything and people got to know how bad it was. Well, let's just, let's just keep going from there. Okay. We'll talk about the vision for sober life at the end. Let's just keep going from there. So you're 18, you're facing 12 years. All the other people are not facing near what you're facing. Um, how did your family react to that? And, uh, you know, talk about that, including your brother. It was bad. I mean, it was, so when I signed my, I signed a plea for four and a half to or four and a half to four point two five to six and a half years. You signed. You yep. signed a plea bargain. Yep. And okay. I remember saying, my my case is so janky because there's even more to it too. So they had they had charged my mom, my dad. I don't even know if you you know this. But they charged my mom, my dad, and my grandma, who was even living at my mom's house, who's seventy years old or something. They charged them all with my felonies because everybody had admitted to being in the house I didn't and I was the only one to wear gloves so technically if I was going to go to trial I honestly think I could have beat it besides my yeah. friends testimonies when yeah. they were going to snitch on me you know but that's all they would have had was a convicted felon's Word testimony against, other, against yeah. me right and so I finally tell them cuz I didn't want to sign for four and a half to six and a half years I thought that was too excessive for what I did you know it was a burglary charge and they charged my family so I finally in the last settlement conference and you know this settlement conferences aren't recorded it's just right. a private little mediation yeah. So I say, drop the charges against my family. I'll sign your plea bargain. And she says, and I said, can you recommend the minimum though? And Laura Brooks was the prosecutor. And she says, if you sign this plea bargain, I'll drop the charge against your family. And I have no problem recommending the minimum. She made it seem like there was a supervisor. I have to give you this plea bargain, this and that. But even the victims didn't want me to go to prison. Like wow. we knew that we grew up with the family. Yeah. You know, yeah, we yeah. were just, we did some dumb stuff as kids. And um, so I signed the plea. Everything goes off there. I And not three months into my prison sentence, I call my mom one day and they bring up the charge against my entire family again. 
Wow. The state just did me dirtier than you could ever possibly imagine. And when people, I s- people don't realize, people, I'm glad, I'm glad you're from another state and you're telling this because this happens a lot in Texas, and people just don't believe it when they hear how corrupt our oh. criminal justice system can be in those in those ways where yeah. they where they promise something and they don't deliver and they basically flat out lie. In both in both cases, and yeah. you can't do anything about it. No, and then so not only that, they charge my family again, but on top of that, when I go to there to get my sentencing, I'll tell you this: my sentencing day, I. I was in a county jail for close to two years because I kept fighting this case. Like we were like, "There's no way they're gonna give me this time." They never budged on their plea bargain. All I got them to do is say they'd recommend the minimum. But then my sentencing day comes, and I'm in the county jail. I think 20 months. I'm finally ready to go to prison. I'm like, "Dude, let me just get to prison. And start on with this passion, this next chapter of my life." And dude, I remember this day like it was yesterday. And I'm sitting in the, in the court, I'm all chained up in the jury box, you know. And my lawyer won't come near me. And I'm like, "Something's really going bad." And I have to like kind of wave him over here. And I'm like, dude, get over here. What are you doing? You know? And I was like, what's going on? I'm like, I can tell something's bad. And he hands me this stack of paper, like 200 pages, my pre-sensing report. And I'm like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Like, explain to me what this is. And he points right here and says the prosecutor's asking for a 13-year sentence. And I'm like, they said it was a minimum. He's like, we didn't have recorders. It was just a settlement conference. Don't worry, though. We should be okay. I'm like, all right, here we go, you know? And I have the entire, half the court was folded up with my family, you know, and my family speaks, I speak, the judge, I remember his words verbatim. He said, I, I think this calls for a mitigated sentence because the fact that you were 18 years old at the time you committed this crime. I also think this deserves an aggravated sentence because I know that you have a drug problem. And I think that the drug problem is more of your problem here than a theft problem. He goes, but I do find it aggravated for the amount of jewelry stolen. And my friend that stole the jewelry is or the one that told on me for the jewelry is the one that actually stole the jewelry. I never even made foot in the house. And wow. he got, and his next words are, so I think this calls for an aggravated sentence of 12 years. And, you know, I was bawling when I was talking. I, I almost just went into shock right then. You know, I yeah. don't even think I could yeah. cry right then. And I remember the next thing I just hear my, my grandma um, screaming, saying that she wanted to give me a hug because I'll be dead by the time she gets out of prison. And shout out to my nanny. She's still here living in Scottsdale. So, nice. um and then I, you know, I just went back and it was just numb. And I, and then, so on my podcast, when I heard my brother went in the bathroom and like fell out and they had to like go pick him up out of the bathroom. like Yeah. So, so that was interesting because you'd never heard that part never. before. So on your podcast, your dad is describing the reaction of your brother. Now your brother's younger. Mm-hmm. Okay? 18 months apart. 18 months apart. And you know, he I looked, was his he, hero growing he up. He looked up to you. Yeah. He looked up to you and you probably were feeling some guilt already because you let him down. And then, and then, and then all these years later, you hear this yeah. from your dad. So tell us, walk us through that moment. Yeah. So I'd asked my dad right then how, you know, kind of how Matt took it. Cause I always shielded that. And I never even wanted to hear the specifics of that, you know, and he said he took it like worse than imaginable, you know, and they said they, they couldn't find him and he went out and uh, I'm going to probably start crying here for sure. And, uh, he went out in the bathroom and I said they had to pull him up out of the bathroom floor, just like curled up in the fetal position, just in his suit, you know, and just like bawled his eyes out. And then, uh. When I got back, dude, we just, I mean, think we made like five phone calls at night. All we were, we couldn't even get two words out. You know, all he kept saying is, I'm going to visit you every weekend. And I just kept saying, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, because, you know, like, all this all this stuff we do, it's like, it's as bad as it gets. But then when you like affect your family even yeah. more on top of that, it's just like, there's no worse feeling than affecting yeah. your family with your dumb bullshit we do. You know I what know. I mean? And uh, that was hard to do. You know, I still feel to this day like I ruined my brother's high school years, yeah. you know, like he was a stud athlete and dropped out of school right after I went to prison. Like mm. 
I ruined a lot of stuff, you know, which is why I'm like so passionate about this next mission in my life because I'm trying to right so many wrongs that I did when I was a kid, you know. I'm with you right there on that, man. I know when I got my third DWI, December 16th, 1994, I got my third DWI and I was in the county jail and it was the first time I, I got to spend a holiday in, incarcerated. And my family came up to see me. My, my sister had just had her baby girl December 8th. So I hadn't seen her. And so the first time I laid eyes on, on Skylar was through plexiglass. Yeah. And that was the moment I realized that my decisions impact more than just me. Mm-hmm. They impact everyone around me. For sure. You know, but what's neat is Skylar, when she was, I think, 15, no, she was eight or nine, she rode with my mom and dad to pick me up out of prison. Wow, that's cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, for sure. Um, she's not doing too well right now, so we're praying her. She she needs she needs the sober life. Yeah. So we're gonna lift her up um, in prayer. But so okay, so that was devastating. Now you're starting your prison sentence. And we'll go through. I'll go through prison real quick. What I did because I'm not, you know, I'm a, I'm an open book on what I did with prison. I'm an, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely open book on exactly what not to do in prison. Yeah. You know, so like. I came in and I don't even like to talk too much about it because I'm not proud of what I did in prison, but it's the truth and it's who I was, you know? So, and I'm proof that you can go from two completely astronomically different, like lifestyle changes or past and just rewire your brain and yeah. figure it out, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's the only reason I'm so open about that. But yeah, I went to prison at six foot, 144 pounds and luckily I used to box and felt like the first time in my life I was a nobody and... Uh, I remember when I beat the first dude up in there, you know, that was running my building, who was legit twice my size. All right, well, let's, t- let's back up. All yeah. right, so I want to give some context to that. So your dad said one time in, in his story that he tried every way to help you. He tried finances. He tried to give you whatever you needed. Yeah. And, and the only other way that it was left was to just beat the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you know, maybe that'll work. Which he did that, but it and didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> um, but, he, but he signed you up for boxing. Yeah. And, uh, and so that actually, when you got into prison, I can't remember what you said. Was it in the county jail or before you went to prison or right when you got there that somebody, somebody told you about, you know, the sucker punch? This is the dude I beat up. Okay. It's, I used his own rule against him. Seriously. <laughs> See, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Okay, all right. So the dude that's running my buildings, you know, they come down, and I'm like long blonde hair from Ahwatukee, little pretty boy, used to model and stuff, and they're like, I'm like the last thing that ever should hit this prison yard. You know what I mean? Because it's not like the minimum camps where people outside. If you didn't get to where you were in prison, you yeah. would have been somebody else's. Oh, uh... for sure. Oh, if I didn't box, who knows where my prison sentence would have went, you know? But, uh and he, that's what they tell me, you know, he's, he gives you like the little rundown on the rules, you know, and he tells me, do you know why they call it a sucker punch? And I'm like, no. And he goes, because you're the sucker if you get punched. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, it means if you even think you're going to get into it, something, you just take off on them. And I'm like, we can do that in here? And he's like, yeah, it's prison. And I'm like, all right, bet. At least I, I'm probably good on that avenue. So a little bit of time went by, and, you know, I was, I'm used to being the popular kid, you know, and even in county jails when I was 18, 19, I was always in the mix and, yeah. you know, like, and the, I felt like a... Nobody could even see me. I was a nobody, and I didn't like that thought. And I was just like, I was trying to show off for some some OG dude I knew from the county jail that had just came in there. So I was like, and the dude that ended up schooling the rules down to me that was running the building, I didn't like. He didn't like me. I was a little punk kid. He didn't like me. And at the end of my sentence, I was exact same way as him. I hated kids like me, you know? <laughs> but he said some smart stuff to me, and I was like, I told my celly after count, I was like, if he says one more thing to me, dude, I'm going to whoop this fool. And... Sure enough, the second we get done with county, he tries to tell us we can't play cards in his house when it's the only place you can play cards. Yeah, yeah. 
And then he says something to me about respecting elders, and he goes to turn around to take the chew out of his mouth. And I remember his rule he told his me. Rule. <laughs> so I was on him so quick and literally just beat the brakes off this dude. They end up pulling me off, and then we get locked down. That building gets locked down for the evening or something. <clears throat> Next morning, you go out to chow. Now all these dudes that had no idea who I were like, hey, youngster, I heard what you did. Yo, my name's so-and-so. My name's so-and-so. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Now I got to in with these dudes, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, they're like, do you want to start putting in work? And I'm like, what is put in work? <laughs> and they're like, well, if a dude that snitches on you or that there's a snitch that comes here and we have paper on him, you know? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm like, that's why I was in prison, you know? I was so naive to everything. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. And then... When I saw these OGs coming down, I was just like, all I want to do is be that OG right, in prison. Right. That's all I strive for. And then by the time I was 23 years old, I ran my first four yard. And, I, and I'm not even joking. I did 12 years straight in there. And I didn't do one positive thing my entire time wow. in prison. Now, I want to make sure everybody knows we're in Chandler, Arizona. And you did, you, you did your prison time in Arizona. Yeah. So Arizona Department of Corrections, yeah, and um, a lot of our guests do time in prison. So I just want to make sure for sure the, you're from you're from Arizona. Yep, and um, I did nothing but positive. I spent probably eight plus years slammed down in a cell, and that's all I wanted to do was like be on the high gangster yards and be in all the max facilities. And I mean, I I got my wishes. You know, I've, yeah. there's not a, I've been in every SMU super max max facility, every four yard in the state, usually couple times now you were affiliated so how long did it take for you to get that affiliation when i was 23 years old so, so and i years. and i hit my and i was in the county jail for 20 months so literally within like three and a half so years yeah, was short, okay. yeah three and a half years i was running a four-year with the big dogs and okay. i'm just like ego is through the roof you know and i'm but it, i was just i was like an animal you know what i mean like i had nothing to to behave yeah. for i was mad at god i didn't even think you know it's crazy when i pray because i still prayed every night and my only thoughts is praying at night was there's not a chance God's real. But I'd probably give him a 2% chance that God's real. But just in case he is, I need that extra 2%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the only reason I prayed every yeah. night, you know? But I didn't, I was, even if he was real, I was mad at him. I thought, how could you well, do yeah, this? Well, yeah, because all the injustices you've had divorce, uh, falsely accused yeah. of sex, and then, and then the injustice with the crimes uh, that your friends are not getting the same sentence. I mean, you've been through a lot of crap. Yeah. So I then mean, I start. Getting in drugs in prison, you know, and get introduced to needles, you know, and I never even, I've never seen heroin in my life before I went to prison. I had never even seen a syringe that someone used to shoot drugs in, wow. in my life, never seen it. The first time I ever saw it was the one I used. And I just got an even, an even worse drug habit, you know, and like I said, what, what saved my life in there was the fact that I went back to solitary confinement my last like nine months and I got out of solitary confinement because I was, they were sending me back to maximum security again. And I was weighing 180-something pounds, just strung out on a prison yard, less than a year to go. But I'm honestly scared to go home. I have zero plans. All I feel like I'm going to do is just, like, let everybody down when I get out. Yeah. But I just wanted to get out of prison. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have goals. Like, I just I just was like, yeah. dude, just get me out just of here knew, and I'll you, figure you it didn't, out. You didn't, you didn't uh, have a plan, but you knew you didn't want to be where you were. Absolutely. And that's all I can say is I didn't know what to do. So that nine months I had, finally, I was able to, like, for one, get off drugs put on 50 pounds in that in that eight nine months and was, what do they serve y'all in supermax there dude you just i mean i usually always ate commissary so it's just like literally they, peanut so butter you, you see commissary. me i'm still i still right, so i still do my prison stuff oh yeah 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 scoops of peanut butter tunas bagels and stuff like that no no soups because you can't you can't uh have stingers in there so no soups um no coffee none of that stuff i used honestly dude i used to eat those things uh dry really like just like a, like I have a crunchy before. like a crunchy you know candy bar or something 
And because we used to crunch them up and put them over stuff and use yeah. them, you know, people out here. My mother in law, mm-hmm. she served us a salad one night at dinner. With ramen on it? And, and the ramen was like the croutons. That actually wouldn't be bad. And so I'm like, this is cool. I'm like, hey, mother in law, you know, going prison yeah. on us on the salad. Sweet. But um, the greatest right. thing about that, let me say the last thing about that nine months is I was finally able to have my own thoughts. Nice. Because I wasn't in the yard politics anymore. Right. I'm not running a yard. I'm not, I don't have to worry about <clears throat> what the, Aryan Brotherhood things. I don't have to write any of that shit. All I'm like, so I'm finally like, and every you get one phone call a week, so every phone call, my family's coaching me, and I'm finally listening because nice. I'm sober, and I'm like, all right, I got to get out. But And I'll tell you this, and this is what I talk about more than anything when I'm speaking to guys from the joint. So this, this time I finally set some goals, and like my goal at the epitome of my success, which is why I tell people don't put yourself in a box, because like no joke, if I, my perfect scenario when I got out of prison was somehow doing a construction job, making probably minimum wage, somehow figure out how to get sober and have a boring-ass sober life, hanging out with a bunch of old white dudes that, seriously, that have no fun. Wait, I'm an old white dude. <laughs> but at least I'm not in prison anymore, right. and I'm sober. And that's like literally at the epitome of success, that's what I strive yeah. for. Yeah. And you, I mean, you didn't know anything else to dream bigger than. I didn't know, you know adult life. So, so that's, you know. Um, all right, so you get out, man. You get out with no plan. Yes. Um uh, now you're out and um, everything's perfect, right? You, no. You stay off drugs, you stay off alcohol, and yeah. everything's great, right? <laughs> I wish we could say that was the case. So let me tell you, I'm 30 years old. I'm just now get. I got out a month after I turned 30 years old. Okay. So now I'm 30. I went away with the Nokia phones with Snake on them. So I've never seen a smartphone, never seen a flat screen TV, never had a job before in my life, never been on a date. So I'm entitled to go drink and go to bars, right? Oh, of course, yeah. So I start doing that, pick up an assault case on parole, they didn't violate my parole. I was lucky as hell that they didn't violate me. It was a God thing. And then my thing with the alcohol, so I'm a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict, you know, um, coming up on six years sober in July, though, now. Congratulations. Thank you. But my thing with the alcohol, and I always try to justify it because I thought, like, people that were, like, alcoholics drank by themselves and, like, didn't have fun drinking. And I was like, <laughs> I never drink by myself. I just like to party when I drink. But the problem with me is when I drink, I don't have an off button, and there's no stopping me. And then once I'm drunk, I'm liable to say yes to anything. Right. So I had a the case that saved my life to this day was, <clears throat> I remember like it was yesterday, we were drinking at a bar in the afternoon. It was a buddy's birthday party. I remember doing the last shot of Rumplemints, and this is, I'm you know, I'm nine months out of prison. Wow, Rumplemints. Yeah, Man. just drinking. That's what all my buddies did. And I don't even remember leaving the bar. I don't remember how I got in touch with this guy. And the next thing you know, I wake up in an ambulance. Mm. And I come to and I ask the paramedic, I was like, what the hell happened? And he's like, you overdosed. And I was like, I don't even use drugs anymore, is what I told him. And he goes, well, you did today. And I laid back in that. I remember I just laid back there, and I was like thinking, what an idiot. Like, I'm never going to figure this out. Like, I wish I would have just died. Like, seriously, mm. I was thinking, why could? Why did I live through this? Yeah. And I'm like, now I'm going back to prison. I can't even tell you. And I'm like, in and out of consciousness, come to find out my heart was only beating six beats a minute by the time wow. they got me to the hospital. Six beats a minute. So the next thing I remember is, and that's after they revived me. Like, I, my heart was, I was dead, full on dead. And the next thing I know, I'm here, my br- little brother in the hallway talking to my dad. And my dad lives in South Dakota, OG in sobriety, you know, 20 plus years sober, you don't play that stuff. And then my brother comes in and I remember, and think of this, I'm 30, 30 years old, some prison shot caller. And I'm like, why'd you tell dad what just happened? <gasps> and he's like, you almost died, Pete. Like, this is serious, you know? And I'm like, damn, I didn't even think about yeah, that, you know? And yeah. I was just used to living that lifestyle. And then I, and I swear, man, 
I made up my mind in that hospital bed and I finally was like, God, please help me with this. I'm mm. done. I'm going to like, I don't have any other second chances. And that's what I full on believe. And that's what works so well for me now is I honestly believe if I take another sip of alcohol, the one sip's not going to be enough and I'm going to keep drinking. And then I don't stop once I start drinking. So I full on believe if I relapse again, I'm dead, you know, and that's what's kept yeah. me sober to this day. So wow. yeah, and I've been sober since then. You know what the worst part about that? That was my brother's birthday weekend too. So my little brother's birthday is July 29th, and my sobriety day is July 30th. So he, he would have celebrated my funeral every day for wow. the, every birthday for the rest of his life. Yeah, and you know, and and you needed some you needed some good memories with him because you know you got the the memory of him seeing yeah. you go off to yeah. prison, and then the memory of you know almost dying. Yeah, you know. So um, how's y'all's relationship now? We had the best relationship ever getting out like live together we had i actually had to move out of his house because his wife was getting jealous and like we spent too much time together and it was honestly affecting their marriage yeah but uh i'll be very transparent open about this too you don't know this just to show how powerful the alcoholic disease is you know and uh me and my brother haven't talked in over six months okay he's a he's a genius and i'm trying to give him some tough love right now and he just he justifies his uh life because he makes bank, you know, he's super successful. He works from home and, uh, but he, he's a full blown alcoholic, you know, and, uh, he justifies it and says it's different because he doesn't use drugs. He goes, I don't do drugs like you and yeah. dad. It's legal. You yeah. know, I go party, I make money. I take care of my kids. Do you ever, do you ever feel like part of that is my fault? Yeah. hundred percent. So it's hard. Cause like I did the other day, I want to go over there and like literally rip him out of his bed, you know, but then I just like think it's partially my fault. So yeah. I don't know where to, I don't know where to give the tough love and where to draw the line and where to just be there for him. People ask me all the time, do you think you'll ever drink again? And I tell them, you know, I'm, I'm not going to answer that, but I know I'm never going to get drunk again. But the reason I don't drink like I used to, and I won't even, I won't even just drink socially, you know, mm -hmm. is because there are people out there and some in the grave that I introduced alcohol and drugs to for the, for their first time. And they are still strung out on alcohol and drugs. Yep. And I look at that and I, I don't ever want to do that again. I want to, I want to influence more people for good for sure than I influence for bad. There's no better feeling than that. I want, you know, just like I told you yesterday, two of our, or whenever it was, I told you two of our guys, from our transitional house, one of them did 25 years in prison. And when he was 17, he went into prison, did 25 years. And last year he bought his first home. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was like the epitome of me saying, okay, I, I influenced him some way to get to that point, you mm -hmm. know, cause he went straight from our transitional house to owning his own home. Yeah. I did. He did the work. Yeah. But, but, but I gave him the platform to do it from. If anyone's in prison too, or like that's listening to this too, or just getting out, like we, I, I firmly believe this and I'll argue with people till I'm blue in the face. Like, we have an advantage on the rest of the world. I believe so. Once we can figure this shit out, you know I what I mean? So. Because they don't, they've never dealt with the lows we've dealt with until you've like lost your freedom and lost everything. Like it, it just gives you a grind. And I, and I, think, I, like it's a, I think it's an under uh, an underdog momentum for an sure. Underdog mindset. Yeah. That, that you, you don't believe in us anyway, mm -hmm. because of the label that, that, that you put on us yeah. that we're not going to, we're going to refuse to wear. And so, uh, man, anytime, I mean, any sports, yeah, every sports, even March Madness, uh, NFL, NBA, the underdog seems to always come out of nowhere and not be as talented as another team, but they will just come and surprise everyone. And I feel like, man, that I feel like we're more common now. For sure. Felons having success than, than, than we used to be. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, and you're definitely an, an example of that. So, 
Uh, all right. What? So, uh, you want me to give you the next the next five year run <laughs> yeah, we yeah, had? Because yeah, we've had them. a lot of bad now. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get to the good stuff. Um, <clears throat> so that July thirtieth, two thousand sixteen, um, was my sobriety date, and in that time, <clears throat> we had a plan. I was going to go out to South Dakota, spend a couple weeks with my dad, and just finally listen to him. Because here's the deal: when I was in when I was in recovery, I always just looked at this differences in people instead of the similarities right and you can find differences in everybody and i'm like he's different i would never hang out with that guy look how he looks and he doesn't think like me but if i stop doing that and i listen to what he says he's speaking the same stuff that i speak you know so i finally was like i'm gonna have an open mindset and go out there remind me to show you this video afterwards right, when i, I picked up my uh 30 day chip out there but so i was planning to go get sober out there with my dad in south dakota and come back and then my co-defendant chad seymour <clears throat> shout out to chad seymour and josh spencer the only guy to ever take a chance on me who was the general manager at the car dealership that my co-defendant worked at. Nice. And he got in with the general manager to at least hear me out and probably hire me depending on what he thought of my interview, but he knew my whole story. And he took a shot on me, man. So I go to start selling cars. My first job ever, I'm working. I'm 31 years old and I'm going to go start selling cars. And I make 10 grand my second month selling cars. Wow. I get my bonus check and it's instant because I was, I'm a, I'm Totally open about it. I was never a baller when I was doing bad stuff. I was never no big dope dealer. I, I was a little stupid rat thief, <laughs> like whatever. You know, I was I never had big stacks of money. I was not like that. I was a little kid and we were just like little thieving kids. Yeah. So that when I got that bonus check, that was the most money I'd ever had in my life right wow. then. Wow. And I just turned the light on, man. And I just switched my drug addiction and all the other stuff to a money addiction. And I just I went from that to being a finance manager in 13 months. So I was, one of my charges, remember, I stole a Mercedes-Benz, yeah. brand new from a Mercedes-Benz dealership, and now I'm a finance manager at a big car dealership up in Scottsdale, Arizona. I have a key to my own office, wow. and I'm one of three people that's allowed to touch money in this safe. So then I consume myself in that, and within that first five years, I made a couple million bucks between wow. that and houses. I bought my first custom house when I couldn't even get approved to rent an apartment, even if I paid rent. I offered to pay them the entire six months. I'll pay you every penny up front so you'll yeah. never even have to worry about a bill. Nobody would even let me live in their apartment. So I bought a custom house. And everybody told me I was too stupid for buying a big custom house. And then I sold that and made a bunch of money, you know, and then I start, and then I buy this house. And it's like, once I, I took such leaps, I was like in kind of uncharted territories, right, you know? right. Because a lot of my friends that went to college and stuff, they're still out here and they don't own their own houses. I'm serious. They still pay rent and stuff. So it's like, that's another tough thing you got to go. It's like, where do you get advice from? You know, Bradley asked me that. He's like, yeah. where do you get advice from nowadays? Because yeah. he's like, you're kind of doing some stuff that I, I would imagine none of your friends are doing. I'm like, I study wherever I can. I watch Instagram. I, I, I Just like they say when you're in sobriety, like get fall in love with someone that has what you want in life. Right, exactly. I look up people on Instagram that have what I want in life. And I just like study their their body movements, their mechanics, what they say. And I like kind of just embed that stuff in my, in my head because our brain is our strongest muscle. You can rewire your brain to live and think and do anything, literally anything you want in this world. Yep. I'm claustrophobic. I'm serious. And I'm not, and I cannot do time away from people. And I spent eight plus years in the most small cells they have in the entire state of Arizona without touching a single human being. Hmm. And this, and I'm serious. When they used to lock those cell doors on me, when I first go in there, I would have full on panic attacks. Wow. And they're like, how'd you deal with it? It's like, you, you deal with it. Like, Just do you, it, yeah. You can't, but there's no not dealing with it. Yeah. Like, they won't, no matter, you can have a panic attack and all they're going to do is like strap you up on a bed and then you're going to go right back up in that cell once you calm down again, you know? So you just have to deal with stuff. And that just proves that we can do anything we want. Yeah. So just this past June, 
I was having the best month of my life, literally making astronomical amounts of money, like more money than I ever even fathomed possible, make more money than my parents even, you know, like I live in a house that nobody in my family has ever even lived in now, you know, and, uh, and it just wasn't enough anymore for me. You know, I had, I bought all the, I bought 11 cars, you know, I, the houses, I had every, all the golf stuff. I've, you know, I, your new addiction was not fulfilling yeah. the, the the void Absolutely. that was inside you. And I had all the toys I wanted, so like I couldn't go buy more stuff and make myself happy. So what do I do? And I'm like, dude, I want to go help people. And I want to go show these inmates that this is possible. Because if I can go tell them and they can strive for so much more than what we strive for, you know, that's going to make the biggest difference in the yeah. world. You know, So I decided <clears throat> just this past June to kind of out of the blue call my I called my general manager in there the guy that took a chance on me you know and uh he sat in my office for about an hour and a half and I, we both he cried I cried you know and I just wow. told him I said it's time for me to move on man and he's just like uh, he just told me he loves me and he's proud of me and he goes I support you no matter what um he goes if it doesn't work out he goes you got your old job back and I'm like that's a god thing right there yeah, so I have, yeah. I have nothing to lose and I and I left on this journey man and I just want to inspire people coming out of prison, you know, to know that we can do anything we want. And, and I that to, connection there will help you uh, still if somebody else that you're trying to help needs a job. Dude, I changed that entire dealership now. I'm serious. When I was, when I started out there, because here's the one thing too, if you're in prison and you like sales, you like talking to people, go get a sales job when you get out. Because yeah. sales, sales companies, one, they don't care about your background for the most part. And two, if you're good at sales, they'll pretty much look past any other thing you're doing. So when I started out there, like the top sales guys, they would be getting high in the bathroom, doing whatever. And I changed the entire stratosphere of that dealership. Culture. Yeah, yeah. seriously. And now if you go to Marquia, I'm not joking, there's 20 dudes all jacked that all work out and are all sober. And half of them are from prison. <laughs> and it nice. got to the point to where as long as I vouch for a guy, no matter how bad his prison record yeah. was, my GM would hire him. And they're all literally killing it, making six figures. So I decided. So I realized I had something here, you know, because I instead of using my bad influence to, to do bad stuff in yeah. prison, now I can use my my influence to do positive stuff here yeah. and inspire people to know that if I can do this, you can do this. You know what I mean? If you want this house, go get this house. You know what I mean? It'd be so much easier for you to get it than it was for me to get it, but I got it. So why not? So good. Man. So that's my ma- and that's my mission in life now. I I, I lost. Talk to us about sober life. Yeah. What's so- your vision there? So, but if I, like I said, I wanted to have a whole community, you know, I, I want sobriety to be cool. And one thing, another thing I notice is even people that aren't addicts, if I'm out with them, so sick, cause I don't go out, man. But if, if we go out golfing or something, I'll go out for a few beers with them afterwards. I don't drink beers. Clearly I have a water and eat some food and then I go home, you know? But when these dudes are getting drunk, even the ones that aren't addicts are like, dude, I wish I could stop drinking. Like, how do you do it? You know, like everybody wants to do that, yeah. but people aren't willing to make a, make a tough choice. And a lot, another, another thing, most people are. Like we've talked about, just super easily impressionable. They don't want to go against the grain. They will drink just so they don't have to hear their buddy give them right. shit about drinking. Exactly. And that's how pathetic we are in these days. Yeah. Like, seriously. So I'm like, just man up and do it. And then people, like, I got these sober guys that all want to, like, I mean, that aren't sober guys, but now they want to be sober and they're not even addicts because they, like, see my lifestyle and stuff. And that's what I want. I want people to, like, see me rock on the sober brand and come up and say something to me and then them to be supporting it and be proud of it because... It is something to be proud of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then once we get this sobriety stuff figured out, we I already know we have an advantage on the rest of the world, but we are legit unstoppable. I'm not joking. If you put the work in, you, there is nothing in the world you can't do. Like, we just have a knack to figure it out. You know, it's crazy because whenever I go share some of my story, I talk about, I talk about the difference between Jack Daniels and Jesus Christ. Because I tell people I still get drunk. I just switch bartenders. That's a good one. I never heard and that. And so Jack, man, me and Jack had a great relationship. He, he gave me courage. He gave me boldness. 
he gave me the ability to to go talk to women that I wouldn't have talked to sober. He gave me, um, you know, he, he, he helped me in bad times. He helped me celebrate the good times. I mean, Jack did so much for me, but he could not stop the consequences that I had to pay for some of those times out that I had with Jack. And it cost me a lot of money. It cost me a lot of jobs. It cost me a lot of friendships, relationships. And so when I switch bartenders, I still get drunk. I mean, when that, I tell you that guy that bought a house going straight from our transitional house to his own house after 25 years in prison, that was, that was a better buzz than anything Jack ever gave me. You know what I mean? For sure. And so, so I get drunk off spending time with my kids. I get drunk off spending time with my wife. I get drunk off helping other people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing is, is I've been able to do more getting drunk off something that is not alcohol. Um, been able to do more and, and be free more and be more creative with what For I sure. do and, accom- and actually accomplish more. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because all the boldness, all the stuff that Jack gave me was all temporary. Yes. The other drunk, my other bartender, the Jesus deal. Christ, the, the stuff he gives me is permanent. Absolutely. It's everlasting. For sure. And so, um, so man, I can't wait to see what all you, because you, Sober Life, you got, you got a website. We're going to put all that stuff on our show notes. I got Don't my you, app being developed right now, yeah. too. That's the same thing, SOBR Life. That should be done in the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be in the app store. So like literally dudes directly from prison rehabs can get mentorship from me with a bunch of cool sobriety stuff. And, you know, I got a the circle that I'm involved in now that God has put in my life is like unfathomable. Like I'm not even joking. And it's crazy because I was always embarrassed about my past. And the more open I've been about my past and the more people I help, the more like just absolute like yes. real good killers like God puts in my life now. Like I have people in my phone book now that I like you could have never, ever, I'm ever blown away. Got me to, got I mean, me, yeah, got me to believe that I would know these people. I mean, when I saw Mark, Mark Lamb, Sheriff Mark Lamb on your, on your podcast, yeah. I was just like, it's crazy how you know him. And, you know, and, and we're he, friends. Yeah. Like, he texts me and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, Dan Fleischman and Sean Wade, like, the biggest of the big names out there, you know? And it's just like, like I said, all I do is just keep putting God first and helping people and not taking credit. You yeah. know what I mean? And then the more blessings happen that's to me. A, that's a formula for success right there. Absolutely. Because, like, anything positive in my life happens now is like, I thought all the bad stuff was God and I gave him the blame for that. So, why not give him the praise for all the good, the good stuff that's happened in my there's life? There's a Proverbs. There's a Proverbs. Um, I, I just uh, posted about it the other day that talks about, you know, we make bad decisions. And, th- and this is like in the book of Proverbs, the Bible. We make bad decisions and we blame God for them, mm-hmm. for the results of them. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, man, that is like what we've been doing for years. You know, we make the bad decisions that put us in the wrong, the, the, you know, the, the, the bad outcomes. And yeah. then we say it's God's fault. For sure. You know, and... Um, so I'm, yeah, that's my plan. I was, I want to single-handedly like tackle this recidivism rate out in Arizona and then go nationwide with it. But like, I just want to inspire people. And a lot of guys, and if you're sitting in prison and hearing my story, and you know, I'm proof you can do anything. Yeah. Just, just start making plans for the streets. You know, because yeah. like I said, I did this without a plan. Like, imagine how much easier this would have been if I would have done anything positive with my life in there. You know, and not fall for the prison politics and all those my OGs in, in there that I was like risking life sentences for. I don't even want to talk bad about them, but they're all they're all telling you they don't care yeah. about you. None of, like there's there's no and, future and they're not in that here. Lifestyle. And they're not here for you. Literally, now, so. and none of them are. And the only people that are going to be there for you is your family and like the real true friendships you make out here. You know, and 
I can honestly say that I have like I have the greatest friends and the most loyal people and like people that would literally do anything for me nowadays because I changed my life, you know. Yeah. And uh, God put these people in my life, so I'm I'm just doing work with them now. And you can add me to that list. Cause, Absolutely, one hundred percent. You're a genuine guy. I love you, man. And uh, uh, talk about your podcast. Yeah, so my podcast, I want a lot of it is recovery talk, but others. I mean, I just had Dan Fleischman there, who is, has nothing to do with addiction. I just want people to. I remember when I started doing cardio, I would listen to Andy Frisella's podcast, and I'd be like, "Holy shit, I want to run through a wall now," you know. And I was just like, "I, I was like, dude, I want to do that." So I did my podcast now is just solely motivational. I got some dudes with crazy stories on there. You know, Seth Ferranti that produced the movie White Boy did a 21 year prison sentence. To be complete, Tommy Vex, who's a full-on rock star, was on there, and he has a crazy, crazy story. If you get a chance to listen to that one, you know, um, from him almost committing suicide and his own twin brother trying to murder him. Like, his story is insane. So I want people like that. I, don't, I just don't want, like, rich entrepreneurs that are, like, right. ballers. Like, I want people that came from nothing, you know, yeah. and had <clears throat> some crazy stuff happen and they completely turned their lives around. I want you to listen to my podcast and think, as cliche as it sounds, I've said it multiple times, but, like, I want you to listen to my podcast and be like, Holy shit! I can do anything. Yeah, because you can. You right. know what I mean. The only limit you have is your own mind. You know, and I always and then, say this. And then, and then have enough confidence in yourself to move forward and take action. Absolutely, it's um, about putting in the work and continuing yeah. to put in the work every day. You know. Yeah. Because it's easy. Like today, it'd be easy for me to sleep in. You know, I don't have to go to work, but I don't. And if I sleep in, that's me start falling off for what my plan is. You know what I mean? And then it'd be just like me to be like, oh, this didn't work out in my favor when I'm sleeping until nine thirty a.m. and half assing it. Why would why would stuff work out for me? Exactly. You know? So I put my I put my metal to the to the ground just like I remember when I was in those maximum prison cells and I seriously the only the only workouts you could do was I would run up like in this in the same spot and yeah. I'd have little water bottles because it's the only <laughs> it's the only space you have in your cell on a five by seven. Yeah. And I remember looking at those bars thinking, dude, give me a chance to go work and go hustle and go do oh. something. So anytime I want to be lazy, I just try to put myself right back to that, that prison yeah. cell and just think it's a blessing that I get a chance to wake up early. Absolutely. You know that's so good, man. Yeah. That's so good. Um so you got anything else you want to tell us about your life? Any any anything you want to share? Um, you know, again, we're gonna put all your links uh, Instagram, Facebook, any social media links we're going to put on there so people can follow you. Uh, we're going to put your, um, sober life webpage. Cool. Uh, what else, how else can people connect with you and, and, uh, Instagram it's Peter underscore Meyerhoff, M E Y E R H O F F. I'm on the Instagram, Facebook. I got the YouTube channel, all my, uh, podcasts on, like I said, all the platforms, yeah. Apple, Spotify. Um, you can send me direct email through my website. And I'll reach back to you personally. Um, yeah. And like I said, I, I, I just want to inspire people. If you don't know me, reach out to me. Like this is my life passion and God put me through all that misery and saved my life so yeah. I can show you guys what you can do with your life. What's the nickname Chappie? <laughs> I got it from Chapstick. You know, it's real quick. Last, really? Real quick. Last funny story about that was I was I'm always addicted to Chapstick. Right. And that, you know, they, they give you nicknames when you're youngsters and you don't really have too much say in them. Yeah. So I hated the nickname Chappie. And the OGs would call me Chappie, but youngsters, I would beat them up if they called me Chappie. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. The OGs would call me, and I'd be like, oh. And then a youngster would call me, like, you don't know me like that, you know? And uh, now I liked it after a while because nobody had it. You know, there's all, right. like, there's all the crazy nicknames in there that everybody had. There's four of them, you know? So I loved it because it was one of a kind, and nobody had the name Chappie. And I'm still, as you can see, yeah. looking for, I'm still looking for my Burt's Bees sponsor. So shout out to Burt's Bees. <laughs> Uh, so, okay. Well, that's cool. I'd never ask you what the, mm -hmm. what, where the nickname came from. Yeah. I, I thought maybe, you know, it had to do with something a little more, you know, 
there's another there's another story with it too is you know my uncle when he taught me how to box always told me to hold something in your hand that's rock hard because you punch 10 times harder so the only thing that you can walk to a chow hall in prison with that assimilates that is a chapstick so nice. i don't know if you ever rolled up a little chapstick and make a fist but it's 10 times harder so oh yeah <clears throat> when i was sucker punching people in prison it was usually chapstick in my hand at first too okay all right so it does have a little edge to it yeah. too as well all right well uh how can how can uh the, everybody listening and everybody at Background Check and Forgiven Felons, how can we pray for you and your family and your vision and keep you lifted up? Man, just pray for God's purpose to keep going through my life and God to motivate me to help inspire people. You know, like I always say right now, God's writing my paychecks. You know what I mean? Like I just, uh, I know the more people that I help and the more like lives that I potentially save, the more that God's going to do for me in the long run. Amen. And this is the first time in my life that I'm actually seriously putting myself not first, yeah, you know, and so it's good. a God's plan. And it's all like, when I speak at orientation, it's all about them. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm here already. I got to get those guys here so that I can take the next step and then show them how to get to the next step, you know? So, um, anything, no matter what happens, you know, God, this is all God's plan for me, you know, and I, uh, for the first time in my life, I, I am actually excited to go to sleep at night because I can't wait to wake up the next mm, day. And so it's the first good, time in my life I felt like that. That's so good. Well, thank you for letting us do a background check on you. Absolutely. Thanks and for abusing my studio, you, bro, and taking advantage of me. You passed the background <laughs> check. Uh, and, and, and yeah, thanks again for letting us use. I mean, we got to interview uh, somebody you knew yesterday as yeah. well. So that was a, John Levitt. Great story. Yeah, he's awesome. And then we also got to interview uh, uh, Johnny Ramirez from 60 Days In, mm -hmm. uh, which is he wasn't on the, on the season uh, in um, Mark Lamb's county. But uh, he was season he was season four. Cool. But um, but anyway, so thank you for letting me do that. Absolutely. Thank you for being a gracious host. Uh, let me stay in your home, eat your food. Yeah. Uh, pet your dogs. Um, roughhouse with your girls. Yeah. Uh, man, when when she asked me to when Paisley asked me to play a game with her, she goes, "You get to pick out the game." And and, and man, she's got two versions of Guess Who. And that's one of mine and my favorite daughter's favorite games back home. So I took a picture of of me playing with her, and my yeah. wife's like, "Oh yeah, you're right at home." Yeah. So uh, it's been cool. a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, likewise, I heard good things about you, so I was excited to meet you as well too. I mean, who who in that who in the heck lets somebody they've never met in person and they've only known on social media, which is fake usually. Yeah. For a, a few months, come and stay in their home with my kids. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so thank you. Absolutely, it was a you pleasure know, having that, you here. That took a lot of courage and a lot of boldness, and uh, and I appreciate that. I was and, looking for a babysitter, so I had a, I had, a, I had an ulterior motive there too. I already knew what time it was. I noticed you were gone a lot and left <laughs> yeah. me uh, home, you know, to watch I was like, the Paisley, dogs and Jay's kids. Here, I'm out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your your girls are amazing. They're, they're going to awesome. be, and, and they're so close to. To my daughter's ages as well. Yeah. My daughters are seven and nine. So, so maybe we'll do a recap and you bring the whole family out here yeah. again too. Yeah, we'll do we'll do round two and talk about something else and and uh, let the family hang out and then we'll go play some golf. My right. last my last thing and this is just solely for dudes that are locked up right now. You know, if you're locked up, this does not define your life. It's just, it's only a small small portion of your life. And if you could harness that and start prepping your mind to do some good stuff when you get out you're going to be 10 steps ahead of people that went to college and never set a foot in a jail cell. Like, I promise you, I quit my job and I walked away from $350,000 a year to show you guys you can do this. And if I can do this, I promise you, you can do this too. All right. Now you're, that's a great message. And I was going to, I was going to lead into ending with that anyway, but that's to the general inmate population. Yep. Talk to those guys and even those girls that are doing what you did calling the shots yeah 
running the yards. Talk to them, specifically to them, and, uh, and, and, and say something to them. For sure. So, to, I mean, to say I was, I was the man in there in Arizona, I mean, I was, and that's all I strive for, and I thought it was cool. And then all it did was, one, got me slammed down 100 times more than I should have, set me so much farther back when I got out because I was even more institutionalized. And then, and it doesn't mean anything, man. Those the dudes I was hanging out with, I'm friends with like the SSU cops out here now. My friends, like these killers that I was in there with, that are supposedly like murderers and like the epitome of gangster, are all telling on each other, man. Everybody does it. They're not about you. They don't care about you. Who cares about you is your family. And when you get out of prison, you're not going to give a shit about what happened in there or all these dudes that you were putting in work for, like when you get out, your life starts over yeah. and that stuff's gone. So start prepping for what you're doing out here. I, I mean, I'm telling you, that's all part of my story now and this is why I share about it. But if I had to do over again, I wouldn't touch the politics and all I would do is try and better myself when I was in prison. And I did nothing. Cause you that. didn't, you didn't take any classes. You I didn't, didn't take do a single any class. education. Nothing. I didn't take a single class and think how much farther along I would have been if I had a, had, a, had an education, or even, even just tried to prep myself for the streets. Like my last eight months, just in solitary confinement, prep myself for the streets. Yeah. Imagine if I would have done years of doing that. Yeah. The politics is not where it's at, but here, if you want to go back to high school, why we say it's easy to follow suit instead of being a leader to not get involved in the politics in there means you're a leader. The followers, and that was the first time in my life I was a follower, and I followed into the prison politics because it's so easy to get swallowed yeah. up in them. The real men in there aren't in the politics, and the real men in there are trying to prep so they can change their life so and good. be a contributing member of society when they get out because the prison sentence is only a small portion of our lives. Yeah. If you want to make it your entire life, have at it. Yeah. I'm good on that. But you can do anything. So like I said, just remember that that's a small portion of your life, and if you choose to do positive that stuff's all going to be a wash. Amen. Amen. Cool. Thanks again, man, for coming yeah, on the show and for letting us use your studio. <clears throat> and um, uh, God bless you and your family, bro. You guys all too. Thank you to all the listeners out there. And uh, God bless y'all, man. Wow, what a great story. I really enjoyed the interview. I really enjoyed getting to know Peter. Again, he let me hang out at his house. And... Um, I got to meet his family, and, and it was just a really neat time. I mean, he let me bring other people over there. He let me bring another, you know, Johnny Ramirez from 60 Days In. He let me bring him over to his house and, and, and record in his studio. So thanks again, Peter, uh, if you're listening to this part of it, man. I appreciate you, dog. You are a real, genuine person, and I love you, and I'm, I'm thankful for what you're doing for everybody coming out of prison, for people that are struggling in addiction. You are the man, Peter, all right? So uh, keep doing what you're doing and stay strong and stay sober, man. The world needs you, all right? So, um, man, it was just a good story, and, and I hope you were able to, to get something out of it. And uh, just don't give up. No matter how life, what life throws at you, don't give up. And even, even in the toughest times, even in the hardest times, you know, always evaluate yourself and look back, okay, am I, am, is what I'm doing bringing life you know, and Peter looked at his drug and alcohol addiction and, and knew that it wasn't bringing life, you know. And um, unfortunately, you know, our society, the way our society is and the way our friends can be when we've been accused of, a, of any crime, really, but more if we've been accused of a, uh, accused of a sexual crime, um, we tend to get, you know, made an outcast. And, and that's what happened to him. I mean, 
had to quit school, had to move schools. And, and it just, it's unfortunate that our society is that way. And, you know, because as soon as you're accused of something in, in everybody's mind, you're guilty, you're guilty, you know? And, uh, but Peter's a great example of, you know, coming out and being successful, took a chance. Um, someone took a chance of him on him at a car dealership and he worked his way up, he sold cars, worked in the finance department and, and worked his way. Now, you know, I mean, he has, you heard him, he had everything, the cars, the house, the, the family, he's got everything. And then, but his life was still empty and he knew he wanted to give back and that's what he's doing. So wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, whether you're in prison, out of prison, whether you've never been in trouble, whether you've been in trouble, there comes a time in your life where there's that something inside you that feels like I can do more in life. I can do more in life. And, and that's when you need to say, okay, God, what is my calling? What is my purpose? What can I do? And usually you can think back, look back to see what you've been through and help people in that area. And, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. It works out for us people, us former criminals, it works out that way because, you know, we, we want to help people in the area that we, you know, we're uh, struggling in and not everybody does it, does it that way. You know, Brian Dupour and, and, uh, he came out to forgive him felons and, and he drove a truck and then he started a, a, a truck recruiting company, you know? So, uh, you know, he's not necessarily helping, helping others, you know, in, 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 in through the struggle that he went through, he's just helping anybody and everybody that needs it, you know, and there's so many other people that, uh, are, are, are getting out of prison, doing it the right way. And I just love it. And I love Peter's story. He died. He OD'd, you know, but they brought him back to life and now he's living the sober life. And I love the fact that they took the E out of sober. And it's just S-O-B-R because you remove all the excuses. Remove all the excuses from your life. No matter where you are, like I said, no matter where you are in life, you may not be able to ever relate to my story, my alcoholic, drug addict, runaway from home, prison, jail story. But I'm just telling you right now, as a normal human being, you you have something inside you because God put it in all of us. Whether you believe in God or not, it's in you. There's something in us that wants to pour back into the world. And we want to give, we want to be a giver, not just a taker, a producer, not just a consumer. And there's something inside you. And I'm going to challenge you. You know, I mean, he walked away from a million dollar job. The, the, the job that made him a millionaire, he walked away from it. You know, he's still got to make money. He's still going to do stuff. But at the same time, you know, we all have been down that crossroads before where, okay, it's time for me to give back. And I appreciate Peter for doing that. Uh, go check out petermeyerhoff.com. Go uh, check out uh, his Sober Life stuff and uh, follow him on Instagram, follow him, follow him on Facebook, and uh, check out his story, check out his podcast, Roll Call with Chappie. All right, let's pray for him real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for Hannah. We thank you for Paisley and Poppy, the kids. Lord, we thank you for his dogs. They were so cool to meet, Lord, Ferguson and Bodie. Uh, Lord, I just ask you to be with be with Peter in this time of his life as he has risked it all to help others. I pray that you open doors. I pray that you move obstacles. I pray that you give him the, the strength, the emotional and, and mental strength along with the physical strength he already has. I pray that you give him uh, spiritual stamina to stay the course when life gets rough. And I just pray you give him creative ways 
to uh, fulfill that dream in his heart of helping others as they get out of prison, but also as they come off drugs and alcohol and any addiction they have. Lord, I thank you for Peter. Bless him. Pour back into his life what he poured into mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Uh, We got uh, the Arizona, the Arizona Chronicles coming up. So this one was the first one. And then we got uh, Johnny Ramirez from 60 Days In next week. And then we got uh, Peter's friend, John Levitt, who did time in the same prison uh, the week after that. And then after that, we got the Idaho Chronicles. All right, man. Uh, Love y'all. Be blessed. You got this. Don't let your background hold you back. Make it pay you back. And have a good week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.